Hi guys and welcome to the GMBN podcast. Now you can of course watch this on YouTube or you can listen to it on Audioboom, iTunes, Spotify or Deezer. Now this week it's absolutely fantastic. We have our very own Martin Ashton and Neil Donoghue on and they talk really candidly about risk, reward and the hard truths that go with it. There's an amazing chat. It was absolute pleasure and I'm super grateful for them having them both on. I really hope you enjoy it and as always, you know, let us know what you think of it. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy this one. Risk. Now, I'm going to start with a really general question. Neil, what does risk mean to you? Uh, it's only something I ever think about if I really want something. Because otherwise, the if something's too risky, then I won't do it. But if I really want it, then I'll think about risk, and then I'll start analysing it. But for me, it's not something I think about that much. Yep. And for you, Martin, if I said, what does risk mean to you? Um, it's a, it's a good bearing on the consequence of what you're thinking about. Um, so it definitely comes into the equation of when you, like Neil said, when you really want something, um, then you've got to start adding it up a little bit. Like, is it, is it worth it? What's the cost? Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe I see it as a little bit of a, um, yeah, a a form of measurement, (laughs) I guess, for something you're going to try or not. But that's. Obviously, super interesting when we talk about measurement, because are you, is it the fear of failure? I think some people are scared of failing more than necessarily the specific outcome. Do you see what I mean? They're, they're worried about certain elements. Is, when, when you're weighing something up, do you, are you thinking, well, how, how is that thought process? How do you quantify those two elements. Um, it's funny when I think about it, it always goes back to racing downhill for me because that was the riskiest thing I ever did. But it was never a fear of fear of failure. I think to have that, it feels like you need to be a very successful athlete, <laughs> like someone at the top of their game, like uh, someone like Kelly Slater who really doesn't want to lose. But to me, I wasn't that. I was someone. The positives of trying to do well was much greater draw than the fear of failure. So that fear of not winning was never part of my mindset because I wasn't winning enough Mm. for it to be there. And Martin, do you feel that fear or that kind of vulnerability of a rider on a bike, does that make our sport what it is? Because I sometimes think with Formula One, they're actually, obviously people sadly still do have really bad injuries, Mm. but it's actually remarkably safe now compared to at least what it was, or compared to mountain biking. Yeah. Do you think that sports need that bit of spice? Um, yeah, well, I mean, mountain bike, you know, f- fear and danger is built into mountain biking. And I think maybe it's not as recognised as, sh- as, it, as, it, as the reality. It's very dangerous. Like any of us who go out on mountain bikes... It's very dangerous. Doesn't matter how good you are, it's, it's a it's a it's a serious thing to do, and it can go horribly wrong on the norm, most normal of days. And that's just true. Yeah. But we don't think about that too much. Um, we we think about when you like Neil would be thinking about risk when he goes at very high speeds on a very difficult track, and I might think about risk and fear when I'm trying to do something on a bike that's maybe out of the ordinary you know to the everyday rider because I've got that trials background but the fact is it it sort of should be in the back of your mind all the time it should Mm. be you should be able to like weigh up what riding is and think you know seriously about it at all times I don't think you're ever going to perform if you think about it too much though it's funny I can think 
of you know racing downhill for 10 years uh, at World Cup. So you do become a bit like a sort of a paramedic. You see so many horrible things that eventually it sort of starts, you get a thick skin to it because you see lots of people hurt themselves. But I remember one uh, specifically, like Mark Beaumont did this jump at um, that place where Fabian Braille won his second world champs, Lavinia. And it didn't, it was a big jump, but to me, it was like, that's fine. It's not going to go wrong there. And he didn't even crash. He just cased it a little bit. And he broke his his sort of ankle, his leg, really badly. Um, and it was like, hang on, why could you... You would have never guessed that was going to happen. Yeah. He didn't even fall off his bike. And now he's got a really serious injury from that. But, you know, if you did look at every single one of those risky things you did, you couldn't do the job. Yeah. And you couldn't ride your bike because there'd be a thousand of those for each track. And most of them aren't the ones you're thinking about anyway. And when you were, when you were racing... You've, I imagine the motivation was very input-output, you know? I need to do this because I'm going to get a result at the end of the weekend. Yeah. When you stopped racing, how did you then manage motivation, the motivation to challenge and think about risk? Uh, I didn't manage it. It just disappeared for quite a while. Uh, I think Was that a relief? Was that a- No, I think I actually I find it difficult. Most retiring uh, athletes probably go through a very hard time. Yeah if they choose to or not retire but there's definitely uh, sort of going cold turkey on it is not an easy thing to do and for a while I didn't want anything to do with mountain biking risks of any sort anything I just went off and did something else for a while yeah. and it came back and now I'm you know I have a much healthier view of it all and I risks now I don't need to take many risks so most of the time I'm happy not to bother do you think you're a bit of a junkie for that uh, looking back, I think I was. Yeah, definitely. Um, not now. No, I've sort of had that fix and it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, really motivational speaks on how to cure addiction. Uh, I really, yeah. whew, I did a lot. I think there's, <laughs> there are some similarities between people. It's hard for me to look at people like G, who's been racing as long as I have and, and carried on. I, I wonder what motivates him now, whether he can keep that same sort of balance well, on He's got life. bikes to sell now. Yeah. <laughs> Someone like Greg has been doing it for yes, longer. Greg's but exactly. there's people there really sort of I don't know how they do it year in year out. It's hugely draining though, isn't it? Yeah. When you're like when you when you're when you really want something like if you really want to win races or get great results or if you really want to pull a certain line or something like that and you get it in your head, it's exhausting because mm. you can't not have it in your head. It's yeah. there. It's too late, yeah. and you know you want it. And the thing that's making you want it is a a mysterious thing that you can't yes. name, and it. And it's there, and it, God, man, it takes your energy so hard. It's just, it's so hard to manage. But after... you can't get away from it. Yeah, because after, yeah, be it Neil Donoghue or Mike Ashton or Greg Minard, once they, their riding or their racing or trials career comes to an end, they're still the person. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Even though they've left a distinct part of their persona behind. And I always think that was like, you know, you know, I think football is a great example. Imagine scoring in front of 40,000 people week in, week out for 15 years. There's a lot and then of one alcoholic day, ex-footballers <laughs> knocking around. Yeah, it mm. must be such like a... You must feel like you've left, right. uh, you know, a great deal of you. Um, because do you feel, you know, I think it's be a really good question in regards to trials, that, not red mist descending, but that state of sort of measured recklessness? Do you know what I mean? Isn't yeah. that? Or? Well, I don't know. Trials is weird because when you want to, usually with a trials line, if you're going to try something, especially for like a video part or something like mm-hmm. that, and you've seen a line, 
um, red mist is not what you want. Yeah. You, you need to not have red mist. Yeah. So you almost need to like, yes, a really calm and sort of cold situation that you usually find yourself in where you're up high on something or you're about to try and pedal your way at something and, and you know how it could go wrong. But there's someone lined up now with a camera. They're ready. They've spent ages getting the shot like lined up and they know where you're going to be in the frame and they're suddenly excited because they think the shot they've got is great and you like can f feel the adrenaline coming and then all you can think is calm down <laughs> like because yeah. the only way this is going to go right is if you calm down yes and and so it's like a real weird balance of trying to get yourself into a quiet quiet state of like i'm going to do this and it's going to go well and there's no there's no going wrong here because yeah. if sometimes if you're up on a you know, 100 foot ledge, you know, like, well, it's only got to go wrong a little bit. Yeah. It's only got to be, you've only got to slip a pedal. Yeah. And, you, and you're not, you're, you know, you're not going to have a good result. <laughs> I think same with uh, the best downhill race in the world are the people that can do that, uh, who don't think, oh, I mean, I'm definitely a victim of that, thinking, oh, you know, I've qualified all right, but if I just take this one risk and do that gap, I'll do really well. Yes. And that doesn't work most of the time. <laughs> There's people who can ride calmly. And you see it often, often with people who are like, come out of nowhere and they qualify really well. You know, watch this, this guy's going to explode. And more often than not, they do because they don't deal with the the pressure of being able to perform when they have to and they think more risks generally equals a better result because this is something i've often thought about being on like the sidelines of a race you know what you said there about the cameraman bringing energy when you're trying to get into that quite precarious state of mind you know that focus is somebody being really excited or good or bad i'd always try and be quite calm i would never wish Good luck. I always just say, have fun. I try and be like, kind of like, almost sort of quite like, almost like parental, like, mm. just whatever you do, you're still gonna, I'm still gonna be bloody proud of you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. When you've got you a cameraman there, like, like oh, go on, do it. Does that disturb that careful, that careful state? Oh, I don't know. I mean, well, I, I think, I think you're right. I think you do need people in your corner that are, um, promoting it to be you know, calm and confident rather than being wild um, but obviously with the Daniel race in particular as soon as you're out the gate it's going to be wild whatever happens so but it's nice to start off on a calm footing so you're clearly thinking about what you need to do yeah I think it's different for everyone because I I've, I always used to and I think I still do I, I love expectation so if I've got someone with me who's got an expectation like her, I would film with Robin Kitchen all the time for my videos before I had my accident. Um, and he's someone that once, the, once you've said you're going to do something, he starts thinking how great the shot's going to be. Yeah. And he's no longer, he don't, no longer cares whether you <laughs> chop your own head off in the process. Yeah. It's like you said you could do it, so you've done your bit. Now yeah. it's up to him to get his bit. I see. And, and he, he, you're committed. Um, and I learned to not say I could do something unless I really thought I could with Robin because yeah. he would he would go well go on then <laughs> yeah. he would know you know because he wanted that shot like donkey day and you want that yeah you want that and and if there was a huge crowd even more you know if there's a huge crowd I would live off the energy yeah. like oh yeah the more the better you I know, I, um, I learned backflips for a mountain bike magazine. So the idea was try and learn backflips in a day. I remember I'd done it into swim pool uh, a load of times and we went to do it and Steve Bear, photographer, was like, don't do anything until I get my camera out. And I'm like, I'm doing it. If your camera's out or not, I've got to get up there and do this quick. Yeah. So it's like muscle memory. I've got to do it. 
I remember him being really, really pissed off with me because he's like, no, you can't do it until I'm ready. I'm like, no, I don't care what you're, you're ready or not. I'm doing it. What's this? I, I've got a really similar story about Steve Bear, actually. Um, really famous photographer from Mountain Bike UK magazine, which was a huge magazine in the UK. Um, and a lot of the sort of top downhill racers and cross-country stars were in it week, uh, sort of month in, month out. And uh, we used to go on these uh, sunshine shoots with Steve Bear, who would then try and get sort of like 10 features done while you're away. My job on those features was always to try and find something really big, something really, you know, front coverish and and brave and bold because I was the trials dude at the time. Um, and I found this gap on the seafront that was insanely dangerous, but I thought I could make it across. And I, I just had it. It was one of those things. I got it in my head and that was it. I was like, I've got to do this gap. And Steve Bear was like, I'm not that's too dangerous. Wow. We're not doing it. And we had this big row of like, am I going to do it? And I was like, Steve, it'll be brilliant. And in the end, I just had to say, well, I tell you what, Steve, tomorrow I'm getting up at eight o'clock and I'm doing that gap. Now you can either take a picture of it or not. <laughs> and, and, and he was, you know, he'd been, he's a really fatherly figure, Steve, and he cares mm. about his riders and, and, but next morning he was a photographer and he was there ready to take it. <laughs> like, well, if you're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> because does that, um, you know, I look at or speak to people like you, and it's clear that we, you two, I would say, have a very different relationship with risk to me. I'm nothing like Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even serious. For the audio listeners, the deadpan with which Martin delivered that line. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I'm quite, in my personal life, I would say I'm a risk taker, sort of, you know, like in, in most aspects, I'm pretty kind of like fast and easygoing. But in a mountain bike, I'm not somebody that is that. I am quite risk averse. I'm not like an adrenaline seeker. Is risk something that extends into other parts of your life, or that you know? Are you kind of more? Are you like you? Are you risky drivers? Are you very calm and careful? I think it's completely personal. I know people that are risky at everything, and then there's people like you that are maybe you know one and not the other. So I think that completely changes between people. I would say, from my perspective, you might. Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a risk taker. Yeah, I don't really that. I, I guess it's I understand why you would say it, mm. but I don't think I'm a I take do, I don't take risks. Do you think really. that because you've got a very you know like you most likely do a very clear and objective view about your own life, or because you you're used to taking risks, you're almost desensitized to what risk is. I think you get better at it. Uh, it's funny, like you go in a car with someone who who isn't a very good rider, and I think uh, they're, they're taking too many risks. Uh, they don't know how risky that is on the bike and in the car. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think when you take risks on a bike in in mountain biking, and you at the end of the day, you've got to know what's at stake. I mean, I'm very aware of what's at stake these days, mm. um, but maybe before my accident, um, I didn't know really because a lot of the time it's like well i might fall off here and break my wrist or i i mean i'm i'm sure if you added up the broken wrists ankles shoulders and finger bones and things between me and neil it would be quite a scary number but yeah, probably would. um i don't think that's risk i just think that's just <laughs> par for the course it's yeah. like you're gonna break bones like i don't if someone said but what if you crash i'm like well i probably will crash but yeah. I've worked out it's going to be this kind of crash and that kind of crash until I had the accident I had, mm. which was a very normal crash, mm. boring crash, actually. Mm. 
and it ended my riding career like like that. I hope mm. that came out nice. Um, and and then you realise what risk is. Yes. And it's not it's not what you think. But it's com- not it's not broken bones. Yes. It's. But I think you know, to most people that perhaps aren't so immersed in the culture of like something like mountain biking, like you know, I go home with a small graze on my arm. And my friend, what what have you done? It's like, no, this is absolute. This I would say that's nothing. Even you know, I'll say to somebody, oh um, yeah, they just it was okay. They only broke their wrist. Yeah, and somebody goes, what? They broke their wrist? Yeah, yeah, lucky, eh? Yeah, but like what? <laughs> that, that's, yeah. There's definitely a scale of these things. Obviously, you know what Martin's accident at one end, and I think the other end, like you know, you, you grow up as I did, falling off a bike. You learn that you have to go very fast, and it hurts. Mm. And I would carry that sort of. <laughs> through to the rest of the thing. So when I eventually bought myself a motocross bike, because my parents would ever buy me one, I knew how much it hurt falling off a bike. So I treated that thing with a massive amount of respect because you see the videos as well of people having a massive crash on those. So like you're realistic about falling off things that, you know, hopefully most of the time you're just going to hurt yourself and break a wrist or something. But there are these other sides to it that are huge. I think it's quite interesting you say that because I would say when you go the other way, and for instance, when I tried skiing as an adult after being a mountain biker and although obviously skiing is massively dangerous and i was very naive i felt the perceived risk was like it's just snow oh my god this is amazing and suddenly i became a far bigger at taking risk yeah because for me you know my riding thing i love is pedaling and if i don't pedal i go absolutely bat crazy Mm. so for me actually staying injury free just so i can pedal is, is you know for my mental health it's like self self medication. Um, something you mentioned there about driving, you know, being in the passenger seat of someone else. I think perhaps some of risk is a lot about being in control because it's on your terms. And I, I love that aspect. I love that master of your own destiny. And you know, to people that say whenever you hear something like a tragic passing of somebody that's had an, had an accident, the comments or on pink bike or whatever, people say, "Why were they doing it? This is crazy." But actually, I think. There's something incredibly poignant about being a master of your own destiny. Are you guys quite? Would you say you're c- controlling people? Not not in a negative way, but just in a in a general way. Are you when you're driving? Are you reaching for the imaginary brake? Are you thinking, oh, you know, what what, what are they, they going to do here? Yeah, totally. Uh, I I try and drive everywhere I can. I hate being a passenger. I just <laughs> I don't. You know, there's definitely people I trust. Blake is one of those people, and I will let him drive. But I'd rather I was driving. Mm. And it's funny we did a stupid thing for video yesterday where I sat on Blake's uh, handlebars and he, he rode down a field really fast. And I'm like, the worst thing is going to happen is going to fall off on a bit of grass. But I really don't like this because I, I trust that. Blake, yeah. but I still 100 not comfortable with this. I'd yeah. rather. I fell off the bike, then him fall off and... I I was the exact... I was on Doddy's handlebars. You'll see the video. It makes <laughs> yeah. a lot of sense. But I found that really difficult to relinquish that. Yeah, it's hard when you give control out to someone else. We found it with the random tandem stuff. Anybody who goes on the back yeah. of that bike is not having a great time, it turns out. You know, we thought it was, <laughs> we, we thought it was a great, fun idea. But it's really frightening on the back when you haven't got control. Mm everyone's the same they're like they're just freaked out and i think we all want when you when you like into riding bikes or driving cars or you want to be in control of it and can you imagine you can feel the ride of inputs behind you as do some people tug on those handlebars more than oh others? yeah well danny 
Danny Mac really hurt his shoulders really? when he when he rode the back because he was trying to steer it all day. Yeah, and of course the bars don't move, <laughs> and he, he, but yeah. he couldn't stop pulling into the corners. And he, he, yeah, at the end of the day, he'd like really tweaked his shoulders, messed up his week, I think. I wonder if it's because riding by such an individual thing. You know, if you were a football player, could you, are you happy to relinquish some of that sort of, um, you know, that trust to someone else? Whereas, you know, if you're a co-driver in a rally car, that's the scariest thing ever. And they've yeah. got to completely trust that driver. I can't imagine doing anything like that. I can't imagine. Yeah. No, sitting in the passenger seat of a rally car is a scary thought. See, my mum met my dad because she was his co-driver rallying. <laughs> nice. No way. And um, yes, yeah, so they had a pretty, I imagine they got the, the dynamic dialed pretty quickly, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah, how, like, I talked to them, something. they've got some gnarly stories like back yeah. in the day of, yeah. and especially because I think they were privateer rallyers. So it meant that there was a huge financial implication of crashing. Yeah, yeah. That a professional perhaps doesn't have. Does he kind of co-drive whilst she's like in the, you know, she's like making dinner? Not who so drove your dad or your mum? My uh, my father drove. So if your dad's cooking, is your mum like this broccoli three hundred yards <laughs> on the left? <laughs> yeah, coming in with a you know salad I knife. Think still to this day, they still have some of that dynamic. For instance, we have like this row of conifers. Like they haven't really got a garden. They've got like a paddock. It's like this row of pine trees. And my mum said, Adam cut those trees in half meaning vertically half my dad heard take half of them out so right. he got the jcb in a, a big chain and ripped them out mum was like what you could never listen to instructions then <laughs> yeah that's it that certainly is we uh, should have worked that out on the tandem the communication was you know yeah just put earplugs in on the back yeah <laughs> because do you think a lot of riders um are potentially too risk averse do you think not so? Or do you think actually it's their prerogative entirely and just to crack on with it? I, I've definitely got friends who are the, the people that fall off a lot. They get hurt a lot. But they're also the ones that learn it the fastest. Yeah. But some people don't know when to stop, I think. Um, but you need some of that. Otherwise, you'll never get any good at anything risky. If you can't, if you're too scared of risks, you'll never get good at it. Yeah. Neil, you spoke sort of looking with the retrospect about, about being a risk taker. But as your kind of post-racing career has unfolded, there have been some spills, uh, <laughs> I believe. I have, you know, so many stories. I mean, uh, I mean, I've got a reputation, but I don't crash hard. Uh, you know, I used to crash loads, if you actually look it was through worse. the old the third videos, <laughs> but I would bounce better because I was probably a bit fitter and in shape. I've always enjoyed taking risks. Um, I've always been a bit of a show-off, like, watch this, thinking... These people are really impressed if I can jump that gap. Yeah. Watch this, I can do that. And eventually that will spill over into a, cra into a crash and it will hurt. Um, I don't think I've changed really, mm. except I've made bigger mistakes because my judgment isn't as sharp as it was, now, probably. How do you feel being, I think sometimes you see it in, you know, with it, people's kind of relationship with you and how they perceive you. How do you feel when people say, Oh, Neil crashed again. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, this Do you think it's because it's, it feels a bit condescending perhaps? Like, well, yeah. actually, I'm really good at this. Leave um, me alone. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I had one really savage comment on Instagram I've talked about in the past about a guy saying, why are you doing this? You've got a child and a wife. Why are you taking these stupid risks? I was like, hang on, I take stupid risks all the time. I can choose what I want to do. I don't want to end up in hospital, but I actually feel like I didn't die. It, you know... It's fine. <laughs> when you were in Chile and things went really, really bad, yeah, were you still? What was you? If you don't, I'm sorry, it's a very personal thing. That's fine. If you could talk about 
It didn't to me. It didn't yeah. feel like it was really bad. Yeah. Uh, the, it was just a pain in the ass leg. <laughs> I had to sit in a hospital to get fixed. But other than that, it wasn't a problem. Mm. It's not a problem. Mm. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and it means different. Martin's had to deal with you know much more serious things than that. So for me, I can. I've got a, a, you know I've worked with Martin for long enough now to really sort my perspective on everything, and that is not a problem. Me lying in hospital for seven days to get on a plane home is not a problem. Yeah. I, I think I think that's exactly how I feel about injury as well, and and those consequences is that you ne- I've not had that experience yet where I've had a a crash or something and gone oh that's enough. It's just like just doesn't it doesn't register in the same place as going out and doing it mm. because the moment it does you just wouldn't go out and do it if, it, if that bothered I you did, you actually. wouldn't you wouldn't do it saying that my last year of workout racing I did half a year half heartedly mm. and for like, team troubles all sorts of troubles and I fell off Fort William at Fort William and really all I did was cut my arm but they were scrubbing it out and I was like mm. this isn't worth it anymore mm. to get a 30th place this this is crap but that was because my head was out of it I was yeah. gone yeah. that was just the you know the straw that broke the camel's back I was already done anyway and what was it like for you Martin you know there's so many that video of you know riding the Fort Bill track with mm. Blake actually and mm. yeah. Danny coming re- igniting that relationship with risk on a bike mm. how was that for you imagine that was quite a um, was it or oh i don't know so there's an awful lot there dude yeah. i don't know um from the perspective of like riding again it was just like it's just was just as hugely exciting as going out as bikes ever was you know it's just something i wanted to do and it was i didn't really connect it to well would it be a good idea to continue doing it it didn't really it didn't feel like that 10 minutes after I was paralysed. Mm. I still, I wasn't at that point going, God, why, what was I thinking? But mm. I later learned, uh, you know, years later, I learned an awful lot about what is it risk mentally mm. um, rather than physically. And like I said, like I said at the start, there's a lot of risk, you know, because once you realise the, you know, what something like my injury means to you and the people around you, maybe even more importantly, yeah. it's it's not something to take lightly. Yeah. But it, or there's also a certain amount of power of knowing that it was um, that I did it. Yeah. You know, so you have to like the responsibility is on your shoulders of what you've done to yourself and what you've done to the people around you, your friends and your family, because they have to now deal with a very different situation too. So there's an awful lot there, but in terms of the riding, riding it is like it's just hugely exciting. Something I love that didn't change, never will, and I don't connect really riding with all oh, that might hurt yeah. or whatever. You just don't. I just don't connect the two things because one of them's like massively fun, and the other one's something that one's in another yeah. place. Yeah, that's such, such like remarkably like powerful way to put it and um yeah thank you for speaking so candidly because i imagine you know you've both got because how, how old is your your kiddo uh he's three and a half almost and mm. and yourself martin alfie's 19 now 19. but he was 13 when i had my accident he was there actually was really? just right next to me yeah. and uh he was you know just all it was all it's just one of those things it was yeah. he's always been part of the 
bike riding. But like I say, I mean, how it affected my life, but it also hugely impacted Alfie's life and Lisa's life. And, you know, it's not something you can really comprehend at the time. Yeah. You just sort of like learn to understand it later on. But yeah. I've really had to learn to understand it rather than, and it's been incredibly challenging. Yeah, no, I imagine. <laughs> it is incredible. It continues to be incredibly challenging. But, um, uh, it's just one of those things that you've got to take day by day. But at the time, it just doesn't really. Kids really mess. Re, kids really mess with your head when you come to doing like um, dangerous stuff on bikes. But yeah. I used to use it. I used to use it if I was scared of doing something, and I was about to bottle it. I just if Alfie wasn't there, I would just go right. Alfie's what I would put Alfie in my mind. He's watching me. So you're going to let him see you not do it. And then I was like, well, now I can't not do it. Wow. It's and I just put him there and I use it. I, I so if I could just, before I come back to you there, Neil, does that not sound, it's funny, you know, you talk about the the feelings and the and the consequence of something like injury. And you also talk about the motivation to do it. But it's just amazing to hear the same, sounds stupid, but, there seems to be something, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but the way you describe it, fundamentally unchanged. It sounds very powerful. Mm. Just like like strength of strength, and that's actually, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't, yeah. It's something like that. I don't know how to put it, but just what you said there about using the energy of your son watching. Yeah. That. Well, I think you have to have a motive. When, when you want to do something, like it's that thing. When you want to go fast mm. or you want to try a certain stunt, that's it you want to do it mm. so you almost know the cost of you've got a fear of knowing because there are times where you didn't go as fast as you wanted or there's times you you did bottle it and you didn't do that photo or that bit of that clip um or that bit in a show mm. um and you know what it costs mentally when you don't do it mm. and that really hurts yeah and and what you end up doing is like well the the best result is that i don't go through that I don't go through that I failed mm. in your mind. And that's a horrible thing to have. So you once you want it, you're like, well, I really want it. And I also know how much, how bad I'll feel if I don't get it. Yes. I'll feel awful and I won't be able to forget it. Because I can think of all the things I didn't do. But do you feel that's because as humans, we sometimes imagine the love we receive through our own perspective? Like I remember, you know, I think of what's important to me. Mm. And then I think that must be the way that my wife must love me then I've got to be that thing. Mm. But actually, she'd probably be, she didn't care about bikes, really. Mm. She would love me irrespective of that. I, m I remember when I did just this ride that went pretty bad and um, had quite a bad infection, and my my now wife was in the support crew. That's when we were kind of first mm. falling in love. And um, and the, the power of her observing me do this ride. Mm. And it got pretty bad, and I, thought I, was, I kind of thought I was going to die, to be honest with you. Mm. And um, I remember thinking just so desperately wanting to get hit by a car mm. because I just wanted it to be over, but I couldn't be the thing that I worried that somebody would think. I, wouldn't, I didn't want to let her see me as the failure, mm. you know? And, I, yeah. and that was really hard. Now, how, how do you feel about something like that? Was, was that you, sorry, you, I kind of interjected on a bit of a tangent there. But do you think you could do, if you went back to downhill racing now, and, you know, your kid was on the sidelines, who I'm sure is probably at that age where he views you as an absolute superhero. Do you think that would give you energy i think it would yeah probably motivate me i don't think it's changed anything i well i'd like to think it doesn't change anything about risk i still 
do what one do. However, I did think about buying another motorbike actually recently. Mm. And that was one thing when I thought, I'm more, more likely to die on that than anything. So <laughs> is it worth well, it? Is yeah. it worth it to leave Lucas without a dad? Oh, I see. Mean, and yeah. it's probably not, yeah. but I don't feel like that's, you know, the same risk on riding a bike. I, you know, I could be wrong because people do die riding bikes. But for me, motorbikes was too big a, a leap. It's like, it's not worth what I'll get from it for the risk of it. But with mountain biking, well, then for me, it's different. There's a guy called Shane McConkey. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, a real famous free ride skier. And he died, base, I think, base jumping in the end. Or either ski that, base Ski-based jumping, yeah. Incredibly gnarly. And it almost seemed like he'd had any concept of risk and reward shattered by being at the very forefront of his sport. If it wasn't for mountain biking, I, to be honest, if it wasn't for mountain biking, I would be desperately sad. If it didn't even exist, well, I wasn't even sad because it didn't exist. But I think I'd probably just be like a long-distance runner, or a cross-country skier, because it's actually that getting to the place of mental and emotional depletion that is really... I feel is really good for me. Do you think that you would have done extreme things? Do you think it would have been a, a motor? I suppose you started in moto trials. Do you think it would have been bikes, bikes, bikes in a different, a motorized avenue? Yeah, personally, I would have found something to do. Yeah, get my thrills mm. definitely. And if it wasn't my advice, it would have been something else: skateboarding, yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to think of anything beyond bikes because they. If you get into it, like probably myself and Neil have gone into it like really young age. Like I started, um, started actually competing week in week out on motorbikes when I was eleven. Right. So it was just something that, uh, and people start much younger than that. But you know, e even at that age, it's hard to imagine what direction things would have gone in without that. But yeah, I would have. I think it's part of. I think it's part of my makeup to be testing myself you know i mean it's funny what you said about the motorbike i i actually i'm sort of i think i'm quite contradictory and quite selfish in my kind of like what i will do and what i would like to see other people do because i would never worry about riding a motorbike in terms of being a dad because it is incredibly dangerous but i wouldn't i've got a motorbike with electronic legs that go up and down and i ride it as a paralyzed man it's totally insane and it makes riding a motorcycle even more dangerous <laughs> like it needed to be <laughs> out on the road yeah. around other other people in cars and um but if my son said he's getting a motorbike i'd be like no you bloody in that's ridiculous it's too dangerous <laughs> so it's completely contradictory yeah. and 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 i'm not thinking about you know oh you know i could go out and Alf, i could have a crash and alf wouldn't have a dad anymore and yeah. whatever i don't i'm not thinking like that but if alf mm. if alfie said he wanted a motorbike and i know he likes motorbikes <laughs> And I can tell you now, son, you ain't having one. <laughs> it ain't happening. Actually, he's 19 and he can do what he wants. I hate losing control of it. Yeah. God, they get to a certain age, you can't control it anymore. Oh, Damn it. Outrageous. You can't control the parentage <laughs> bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did my motorbike test probably when I was in my early 30s. I remember my mum being absolutely devastated. Mm. <laughs> Motorbikes are so much fun, though. They are just they? too much fun. I mean, you can just. I remember going up recently. Um, I, I rode my motorcycle in North Yorkshire, and I was going up this hill that seemed like it was going off into the sort of into space. It just pointed up into the sort of horizon, and I nailed my bike up there. I was doing about 110 mile an hour up this hill, and I and I just thought, well, all the only thing that's holding <laughs> me on this bike is um, was a piece of gaffer tape around my legs. And I thought, if I just let my fingers go, I was at the moment, if I just let my fingers go, I would just be 
whipped away from the bike because the gaffer tape would never hold me and it was the most exhilarating feeling like the only thing that's keeping me alive right now is have you ever been to TT? my fingertips <laughs> talking about risk you've ever been oh, to watch the yeah, old man tt that insane. is next level that leads me really nicely on to my to the kind of thing i want to talk about next you know say something like downhill racing the tracks are getting more high speed which might or may not be more dangerous. I think it's kind of the consequences are, are quite varied. But in the way the kind of mountain biking that we watch and racing at least is going, we all were on 26 and the racing was close. And then it became a bit of an arms race to get the fastest 650 and then subsequently 29er. Was there any point? Because we just got close racing again, everyone's happy. Is it? Should we just be saying, hold on, let's just... All we're going to do is increase the speed, but not going to increase the quality of racing. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Because you look at somewhere like Leogang, where the racing's very tight, but not necessarily good. Personally, I'd rather see a Sam Hill-esque figure come and smash the field apart by eight seconds or something tech. But do you think that as a sport and as a governing body, what's the relationship of responsibility towards the athletes? Um. I don't know, UCI are quite tight with the rules on bikes. I know you can obviously run bigger wheels now, but in the past, you know, they've kept quite a close eye on that. But I don't think there's much more you could do with Daniel. Well, I'm sure they'll obviously naturally develop, but I don't think there's anything really going to make a massive leap forward. So the bikes have changed. I'm not sure that that necessarily that it's got faster because I know in the early days when I raced that there were some really, really fast tracks. Um... I think the bikes nowadays let people travel over more difficult terrain faster. You can't argue with that. No. But it doesn't seem to be like there's more injuries than there was. I mean, I'm sure we could actually work this out, but yeah. it's always been similar. But with something like the TT, if those guys were all going 15 mile an hour slower, mm-hmm. or is the exhilaration the fact that it is the most extreme with the most extreme riders I think in it the is. pinnacle. You're right. And it, it adds like a, you, a melting pot. You want the, the most amazing bike to be ridden in the most amazing way. And that's what the manufacturers and the riders are striving for. And that's what makes it the pinnacle of that thing, which is sort of the same with downhill. Mm-hmm. Like if you can get that bike to go faster mechanically and the better rider, then that's what we want to see. So that's just mm-hmm. natural for sport. I think, I think in... It, in downhill, in terms of like what the governing bodies could do, you could make the tracks a little bit calmer, and I suppose at times they are getting a bit more bike parky than they were. But you're never going to stop the fastest people going ridiculously, <laughs> yeah, dangerously fast. And uh, to be fair, the TT at 15 miles an hour isn't safer. Mm. Um, it, it's it's still. <laughs> they'd still be someone who goes ridiculously close to a wall, and you'll never stop the the crazy people going crazy and doing it just to its absolute limit you know it's i mean you think about the cross-country riders you know would you ever you know would we ever sort of try and tone down a cross-country trail because nino's going down the downhill trail too fast or too scary or too dangerously or and if you you just can't do it you look at the ultimate uh, at the tt you know lots of people lose their lives there it doesn't stop 200 people showing up next year. One no. death doesn't stop. 200 people go, oh, I still want to do that. But it's like Formula One in the in the 1960s. Mm. And they were there with just goggles and open face helmets. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you become desensitised to it. But just to have a class B in the 80s, you know, mm. to turn it up and be like, well, you know, mm. that's a great race, lads. We'll um, see you next week. 
we only had to say goodbye to two or three close personal friends this weekend. Yes. And they still, because I think there's something about, I don't know if it's because our culture or genetics, I'm, I'm just not enough of a, I don't know anywhere near enough about to talk about why it is that young men love to get themselves into this sort of business, you know? Yeah. I mean, just about, like recently, uh, Fabio Widmer put out this oh, amazing video yeah. where he's just, absolutely smashing his but it's urban free urban free ride lives i think it's called um uh is it three jack yeah and that that's basically him just smashing his way down any stair set he can find between his home his home in leon and paris and it's insane you know and and he is a fabulous rider and a he's obviously very good at crashing you know, you get good at crashing. So he's confident he's going to get away with stuff. But in that video, I think even he'd admit there's a couple of places where luck comes into it. And and so to know that that's, that's what people will do, they will they will push it to a point. And I'm, I guess I'm one of those people, Neil probably too, is like we're, there's riders that will push it to like where they're willing to go into the space of I might get lucky and get away with it which is what you can see in that video and it is scary to watch but it's just something we'll do and it's it's weird but it's weird, yeah. wonderful at the same time do you think it's just a little kind of statistic what i once read was that lance armstrong never had a puncture in any of his winning tour defenses or winning and inverted mm. uh, commas but did on his comebacks do you think it's perhaps an absence of bad luck rather than necessary that's kind of what you're hoping for as mm. long as things don't go actually badly mm. then i'll probably get out of it well a lot of time we just don't you know you don't necessarily ever think well oh, no, that'll yeah, happen no, to me right. yeah, you know yeah. that'll never you know i, I mean I, you know think of your worst crash neil did you ever think oh that'll happen to me actually you probably did right. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like uh, it was likely road cycling corner at 60 miles an hour <laughs> it was quicker than that <laughs> <laughs> because would you guys something i struggle with is um i get a lot of small injuries that hamper me because something will happen and i'll think don't be a wuss ride around it ignore it you know especially with endurance cycling do you guys consider yourselves tough as people mentally do you consider yourselves quite tough I suppose I do a little bit. Mm. Um, I don't know. I feel like no one necessarily wants to hear your woes, so you might as well deal with them yourself as best as possible. So even if my ankle's hurting really badly, no one's that bothered, so just deal with it. And I don't want to say man up, because that's not necessarily right, but you know what I mean? Just be a bit stoic about it, because no one really cares. Stoic is a great word. <laughs> yeah, no, you can <sighs> The word stoic sums you up, I think. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> what was that quote you said yesterday? This wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, that's my motto for life. This isn't much fun as I thought it would be. How about you, Martin? Would you say you're a tough person? Uh, no. No. No, not really. No. But do you think... That's <laughs> my, could, it's my simple you, answer. I've learned I'm not. You could ever be tough <laughs> if you... Sorry, I'm going to get my words in a twizzle here. Mm. Do you think you could ever actually be tough and, you know, a rugged person? With, whilst conceiving yourselves to be tough, <laughs> do you see what I mean? Yeah, I know. I think there's a, there's a bit of self-effacement to it. Yeah. And you kind of you have to if you're not saying to yourself, "Oh, 
I'm not tough. That means I've got to crack on. Mm. But I think sometimes people think they're really, really um, kind of, you sometimes see it in like reality TV and things like that. People think, oh, I can handle anything. And then two days in the jungle, whatever what it is, they're just like, I can't do it. I need a Starbucks, you know? I couldn't handle the jungle, if that's what you're asking. No way. No way. Well, you're vegan. What would you eat? Any ants. Well, no, that would be my power in there, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the rice and beans would be no problem. I could do it. Um, <laughs> sorry, I've got off track. I'm thinking That's about it. being in the jungle now. As riders, and as riders that are obviously annexed to a, a personality and a person, are there any risks that you may have got away with, but perhaps you think, well, what was I thinking even in the first place? And secondary question, do you have any knock-on effects or consequences of, in terms of your personality, in a way that risk has changed you? Um, the first question about sort of, so a risk that I've, so something I maybe done and thought. Looking I, back with the degree of hindsight. Look, looking thinking, back over. Thinking? Like if you'd been a fly on the wall, you'd have been like, you're an idiot. <laughs> What are you doing? Do you know what? It's hard to look back over something I've done mm. and, re and regretted it or thought it was too much of a risk because I have, take, I have done stuff on my bike where it's a definite die moment, mm. uh, maybe too many times, where you're like, well, why, why would I be willing to put myself in a place where I could die for a photo? Like a photo. Mm. You know, what's the point? But I, but I have. So, and I've always seen a photo and gone, yeah, that was... <laughs> That was <laughs> but I do remember lining up to do a, uh, a bit like the story I said about with Steve Bear. It was on a, one of those shoots and I lined up to do a gap across from this sort of cliff edge to a rock that went down into the sea. Mm. Um, and I thought I could kind of like do it like a step down, sort of get to the edge, stick a couple of pedals in and gap it and then sort of land in the downside and sort of ride it out like a, like a, almost like a landing mm. and then drop down into the, basically into the rocks in the sea. And I just was, I got so obsessed with the photo that I was like, I've, I've, I'm just going to absolutely smash this. And I was super excited about it. I was on the bike ready to go. And my friend Martin Hawes stood in front of me and was like, we're not doing this. Wow. And, and, uh, and I was in that place of like, I'm doing it. Yeah. And it, and because it was another rider, not a photographer, I, I remember thinking, Oh, maybe I shouldn't do it then. Yeah. And then I didn't do it. And we went back the next day and I could clearly see the next day where it was off my radar. Like, what the hell? There was no way I could do it. But it's funny, you know, going back to, to kind of clarify my question a bit, an example yeah. I'd cite is that when I took my better half for the only time we've ever been mountain biking, mm. <laughs> she was kind of talking at the beginning, how hard is it? Oh, God, you're right. And I was like, honestly, and then eventually I was like, you know what? Fine. We'll go at the bike park. Mm. Got her downhill bike, yada, yada, yada. Literally first corner, she just went, was on downhill bike. Mm. So went full steering, hit steering lock, went like oh. the front wheel bit, went over the bars, literally fell down. It's like a two and a half metre drop. Oof. Anyway, and yeah. she got up and she was like, absolutely fine. She didn't care. I was traumatised. <laughs> what have you done to me? And I, we then went even like road cycling and that, was like um, jumping in cold water. It was such a shock to the system mm. that suddenly I was more aware of the dangers and I think I became a royal pain in the ass because I was like, even road cycling, I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. let's think about, we were living in France, mm. let's think about these turns and now, you know, and I probably became an absolute, well, I was undoubtedly a nightmare. Do you, I mean, you must, have, now that you're kind of, your kid's grown up and he's getting out on the bike, 
perceiving risk that you're getting away with. Do you, yeah. do you have anything you look back on and you think, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. That was unfair. Not really. I think he, if I got away with it, that's done dusted. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. well, that's what I think. Yeah. Got away yeah. With it. Yeah. Uh, it may have been a big risk. and Maybe I didn't realise how risky it was at the time, but I got away with it. So yeah. I don't spend much time thinking about that anymore. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. I definitely don't really regret anything. I've definitely made a few bad choices that have led to injuries. Um but if you spent your time thinking about it, regretting it, I don't know how you'd get on with doing anything else. So I, I, I write that one down as a mistake and now I'll forget about it. And do you not feel that, I think sometimes at times I've been scared of injury or coming back from something and worried about getting re-injured. And say I have a, 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 like say separate my shoulder and the injury was probably like six weeks. It was like a, quite, a, quite a big one. And instead of just processing that, like a, a normal, healthy person, say, well, I'm not going to ride my bike for a bit. I'm going to come back better. I started riding again after, I think, four days. Just like, I couldn't, it was a, like, it was one of those type four, I think. So it's quite a, and I really didn't have much movement. And it meant the lingering effects of that risk and that injury. I never processed it. So then I didn't enjoy riding for like four months. <laughs> when actually, if I'd just taken the hit on the couple of weeks, I didn't come back healthy. Do you think there's an element of that? And especially racing, you know, you got demands this race is a big one and it's coming up in two months. You better be fit. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to spend a lot of time racing semi-injured, even if it was something not very serious, but a swollen knee or something that hurt a lot. So, yeah, there's blurred lines there definitely of just having to ride. Um, with the bigger injuries, I wouldn't mind sitting around for a while because I think it would be like the enjoyment of getting back on the bike after sitting around is is great. So mm. it's like those peaks and troughs. If, if it's all the same, you know, you can you can stop enjoying it as much. So it's nice to have a bit of time off the bike and I would use those times to really go away and do something else. So yeah. when I do come back to riding a bike, I'll really enjoy it. I sometimes find that frustration is like motivation for another day. You'd be good a bit stir crazy at home. Oh, I can't ride today because of X, Y, Z. And I sometimes try and hold on to that and enjoy the mandatory, oh, yeah. well, I can, I can use this, you know? It's yeah. like an energy that's... Um, I, I think the, part, of the, part of the art of being a, if you're, you know, a professional athlete of any kind, part of the art of it is knowing how to come back from injury and mm. manage injury well. People who can do that tend to do really well in a sport and mm. people who can't tend to be frustrated buy it you know and yeah. they, they don't succeed it's difficult i was literally watching the pipe masters at the moment uh, so john john florence one of the best surfers in the world tore his acl uh, so that's a big recovery oh, that's a big one, yeah. and he's not quite ready to be back but he is because it's outside his house basically where he's surfing yep. and he's doing really well nothing like a short but he's now like oh i'm just here to have fun but he's doing really really mm. well it's mm. probably earlier than he should be but does that not make someone like i'd say rachel atherton even more exceptional because she's come back from so many big yeah. ones and similarly on the other end of the spectrum obviously probably one of the greatest of all time aaron Gwynn. for years through all his initial part of his career you know he was beating a lot of riders by a hefty margin but he'd never had at least on the world cup circuit maybe in his younger life but a really big injury mm. as a consequence of racing we've noticed in the last 18 months two years he's Strange. had these little niggles yeah and do you, I, I wonder if that's taken you know, just taking that little, that 1% off and compared to someone like G, who seems to be, you know, just goes through everything and keeps coming back. And you think, well, in a, in a sport that is sometimes decided by incredibly tight percentile margins, mm. it's no wonder, mm. <laughs> you know, that the person that doesn't have the, had, hasn't had a history of injury mm. seems to be winning. 
Yeah. Of one. Yeah, yeah. If you can mentally handle what it takes to come back, because until you've you had a big injury and had to come back, or, or or a big loss, you know, like the people who are great who are the people who can come back from an injury or win again, you know, like. Yeah. It's all when you're winning, it's the easiest thing in the world. You almost can't help not win because you're just in that vein of form. Yeah. That's why you're winning. But and when you lose that, which inevitably all of us do, um, trying to get it back again is very frustrating because you can't really put your finger on what did it. Yeah. You know, like there's just we've seen it in downhill so often that someone just like like Ormore Piron's in that Mm. in that period of his career at the moment where it's like well he's just he is just one of the fastest dudes and that's just how it is yeah but he there is going to be something the bike's going to change or he's going to unfortunately have an injury or you know something's going to stop him winning and then he'll have to try and find it again and that's where we'll find out is he one of the greatest riders or not yes. it isn't now because now's the easy bit you know someone like danny hart who just who is always thinking technically how can he get all the things he needs to be at the top he he keeps finding his way back into the top three or four and on the verge of winning mm. and and that's really difficult difficult to do and then someone like Rachel who can come back from injuries time time again losses time time again and still be the person to beat that's how you know you're just, talking about someone special because yeah. they can do that you know winning when you're winning's she did win. Not the marker. She won world champs. I think it was three weeks after a broken collarbone. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's. Yeah. Well, um, another great example of Pom Pom. Yeah, yeah. You know, coming back this year. Yeah, and I think even someone like Pauline Frampreveau, who had that issue. I think it was. I can't remember. It was a quite hard to diagnose issue with mm-hmm. her legs or lower body, and um, I think cross country, you've got to know you've got it mm. to go into that place. And it's, you know, when you're in a huge amount of self-inflicted pain, mm. you do want to kind of let your foot off the gas. Mm. And I think it must take a huge amount of strength of mind and strength of will to not only train for that, but in the head of the moment going, so what if I didn't have a good early season? Mm. So what if I didn't have all that, that high-end power training that racing essentially is? Because I'm going to go and you know, stick it to them. Yeah, when you've got belief in yourself, it's the most powerful thing. Yeah. Because, because when it's really there, it's, it's, it's real. Mm. And you just, you can use it the time i mean I, you know if i get a video idea in my head even now i mean i'm sat here in a wheelchair but if i got a video idea and i thought i think i could do that i th- really think i can i'm not just saying it and that makes it almost like oh this this, this stuff's happening you know i'm gonna do it because it becomes a real thing mm. have you ever had it martin i've done it well i've gone to a race it'd be at a british national enduro and be like i'm gonna win this and i'm gonna win this I uh, feel great. I my form says I'm gonna. I've beaten everyone at this race easily in the past, and then you don't. I'm like, oh, that feels like it's a real kick in the teeth. Mm. Have you ever had that where you're I just, I, sure I, you're on form, you're gonna do this thing, and it doesn't happen? I've, I've I've never really had that feeling of like I was gonna win. I always used to go into events thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna lose unless I unless. And then whatever, you know, that I'd be like, you know, I'm I'm gonna lose this, so I'm I'm and I would yeah, just be so scared of losing. But I mean I wasn't like someone who you know, I you know, I mean in trials it's a very different space to what you guys were doing. It's a very different mentality. Um I've never really lined up on that race start line and had to deliver it in that sense. It's a different thing, I think. It's I remember speaking to Tracy Hannah quite a you know we talked quite a lot about this when i was working for polygon 
And she was saying how she found herself in a really interesting situation in 2017 because she focused on her home world champs in Cairns mm. and found herself in the leader's jersey of the overall and was like, well, all these years I've been trying to win the overall and I haven't been able to crack it. Mm. And the one time she's not even thinking about it, she finds herself in that position. And she took a lot of that thought process into the 2018, subsequently 2019, when she did win the overall. But she also found herself in a situation, which she'd never been in as well, at Cairns of being like, I'm going to win this race and not hell or high water is going to stop me. Mm. Subsequently, it didn't pan out like that. And she had a really hard time, I think, accepting, well, you know, it must be a very hard thing to accept. Yeah. Both elements. Like, actually, I've been doing, I've been getting the wrong, I got the right result by doing what I thought was the wrong thing. And I got the wrong result trying to do the right thing. I, I try and be realistic about this. I think psychology, is this whole podcast has been about psychology, basically, mm-hmm. is a very important part of riding and racing. But actually, being the best rider is what still wins races most of the time. So the best rider probably won that World Champs on the day. Well, I think um, the UCI timing had a bit of to do with it. Okay. <laughs> but when we talk about Bruni and Pirion, Bruni and Pirion, like they are literally the two best riders. One or two, you know, they've both got a good head game, but actually they are just very, very good at riding bikes fast. And that's why they're winning, not because they're super tough mentally, because there might be someone who's coming 10th is super tough. They're just not as good at on at riding a bike fast. So you've got to remember that psychology is a big part of it, but you've got to have the the actual means to do this thing in the first place. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You can't you can't do it. You can't do it any other place than on the bike. Mm. Um, you can dream you're winning all day all day long, but yeah, you've got to you've got to actually turn it into reality. But like I said, but once you think you can. <clears throat> excuse me once you think you can turn it into reality you're nearly unstoppable well, first, like if yeah. like you know you, you can then you can do it and that feels blooming good but then like, especially with daniel it's, it's quite a short season and it's written off and you have to start again like we've seen with danny hart win a few races in the year and then boom season's over try again and everyone comes back ready to roll yeah so i'm gonna begin to wrap it up but there's a f- one or two questions i want to ask you both martin did you make that bloody gap on the seafront yes i did multiple times <laughs> i loved it absolutely loved it until my chain clicked on one of the goes and i thought oh better stop <laughs> on a similar trip uh i don't know if you were there you may well have been there g Aston was lining up a snake river canyon gap yeah. and we had to talk him out of it mm-hmm. it's hard to do as well yeah. if someone wants to do something yeah. you nearly can't stop them yeah. because they're like well i'll well, just do it when you're not here yeah. that's what i was like i'd be like <laughs> well i'm just gonna do it that's quite a um, good, good device but when riders start telling you, you've got to start hearing it a little bit because, yeah. because yeah, you can get a little bit drunk on it. Mm. <laughs> and um, my lap penultimate question is immediately after, you know, going an injury, I'm thinking about your injury, Martin, but also especially, Neil, with your life-threatening injury in Chile. And you're smirking, but that's what it was. <laughs> And you know you can you can wrangle with that yourself. Was was there a, was there a moment initially where you were like, oh bloody hell's teeth, what have I done here? Now he is. <laughs> <laughs> still, talk, still going on about this. <laughs> it was fine until you said that. Uh, no, because I'm in the mode, uh, practical mode of dealing with it. Yeah, and I don't think about it until much later. 
but no. travel insurance straight away. How much are you going to pay out? Yeah. Uh, no, I just, yeah, I, I tend to feel like it's done, too late, don't worry about that. Yeah. You've got to deal with it. So, hi, Irina, deal with this thing. Yeah. And yourself, Martin? Similar? Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I think when you've had a big injury and you're lying in a hospital bed, you're thinking about getting well yeah. rather than how you got there. And I think that's for a, yes, for a later time. Yeah. You come round to that and it will come round. Yes. And you will have to deal with it. Yeah. Something I think about a lot and one kind of, I suppose, my kind of my mantra is just acceptance. I always tell my things just to accept things. Um, you know, even in a personal capacity, uh, I'll always be like, just accept things. And one time my, and I, I don't know, yeah, I've always I've always been like that, and I I will have a lot of respect for effort. I I'm very bad at dealing with people that don't really like to suffer. Do you know what I mean? Like if we're on a ride, it's always like, oh, it's raining, but it's raining for me too. Simmer down. You know what I mean? Like I can't. I I'm, I'm oh, really. You're one of those tough guys. <laughs> I've read, read about you. Yeah. Guys. yeah. Well, I don't know. Like I'm just I'm probably quite good at being uncomfortable, but not very good at being a pain <laughs> if you see what I mean. Yeah. And um, I'm one time me, my mother, and my sister were in the car with my niece. My niece was probably about a year old at this point, and she started crying. And we all said quite nicely, but just stop crying in unison. And I was like, this is where it's come from. And needless to say, she stopped crying. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, this is like the core of my, this is how it happened. Yeah. And um, my final question, and a nice kind of way to wrap it up, um, would you recommend risk? Ooh. That's a big question. Oh, I absolutely would. I think you've got to, you'll learn much quicker. You'll have a good idea of what is risky and what isn't risky and what is too much risk. I definitely think it helps with not just riding bikes, literally your outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't want to get any nasty surprises. I think you need to know what works and what doesn't, personally. Uh, I would say you're already at risk. <laughs> you're already at risk mm-hmm. whatever whatever you're doing you're already at risk so you may as well do the things you want to do and if you've decided you're going to do something then mean it like if you don't half yeah. don't try and do something and especially on a bike but just in life mm-hmm. you know if you're going to try and do something really mean it mm-hmm. because that's the that's the uh quickest route to getting it right you know if you're all in it'll probably come out all right but if you the moment you put a bit of doubt in there or you don't quite go hard enough see it probably ain't gonna work out <laughs> you you said there it would be quite a hard question to wrap up with but i think you just did a <laughs> you knocked out the bar both of you and um just want to say thank you very much for all your time and all you just frank Cheers, discussion. it's been it's been awesome cool right. that's 11.99 please <laughs> is that it <laughs> thanks guys <laughs>